may we never take for granted what Christ did on the cross. Amen? And as we hop into Romans, we see the depths of sin. We'll be into that uh, for, for a little while here. We'll see the depths of sin. And as we are, it should create even more appreciation for what God has done. You know, on Wednesday nights, <clears throat> on Wednesday nights, we are finishing up in the, I think, uh, the next week, the evangelism boot camp. And one of the things we've been talking about is we've been just helping people learn how to witness, how to, how to get the gospel out there, and how to tell other people about Christ. One of the things we've been talking about is how do you respond to some of the things that the skeptics have to say? In fact, have you heard skeptics say things like, uh, if God is so good, then why does he allow bad things to happen? Have you ever heard that? And so there's this assumption uh, uh, that, uh, that if God is good and, and if he can do whatever he wants to do, then he shouldn't allow any bad things to happen. In fact, it's a question I remember my five-year-old son. He's not five anymore. But when he was five, I was driving him to kindergarten. I looked in the rearview mirror, and I saw him like looking like this. I said, what are you thinking about, bud? And in his own five-year-old language, asked this question. And he said, um, God is all-powerful, all right? He can do whatever he wants. I said, yeah, that's right. He says, and God is good, right? I said, yeah. So why does bad stuff even happen? Five years old. It's a question that by nature we ask, right? Have, how many in here have asked that question in their mind? All right, very good. And, and, and how many of you have heard someone else ask that question? Right. Or how about this question? Is it fair for God to judge a native in some unknown tribe somewhere simply because he has never heard of Jesus? Have you ever heard that question? Yeah, so you hear questions like these, and, and it's not that they're even bad questions. Uh, it, it's that when I hear them, and, and Christians usually respond by, uh, bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> right? We don't have an answer for those, and we don't know how to answer. Well, there's a good answer for those, and they're right in Romans chapter 1, then the text that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, there are good answers to these, so let's get there. Uh, so as we're dealing with uh, Romans, we're talking about making sense of what matters most. What we're talking about is the gospel. Making sense of the gospel. Let's read the passage that we're going to be reading today. uh, uh, But to see where we are in the scheme of things, remember we're going to start, we're just starting the book of Romans. So we're just going to emphasize the part on sin first. That's where where we're talking about today. And we'll be in sin for uh, for a few weeks. But let's read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. What did I just say? Wait, what did I do? Oh, yeah, you usually don't hear a pastor say that. We're going to be in sin for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that is a good one. I have to write that one down. Wow. Pastor encouraged us to stay in sin for a while. That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. All right, let's, let's read starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteous, unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools 
and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Wow, as we begin Romans, Paul lays out a, a nice introduction as we talked about last week, but now he hops into the topic of sin. I'm not going to say he hops into sin, right? but he hops into the topic of sin. And boy, he hits you hard right up front, does he not? When we start with the, with the wrath of God. Uh, when you think of the wrath of God, boy, oftentimes when we think of God, we think of, of the goodness of God, right? And we say God is love. And is that true? Yeah, it's in the Bible. God is love. But we oftentimes overlook the fact that there's this other side, this, this, this wrathful God that we have to admit exists, right? Because God is a God also of justice. So if we look back at Romans uh, 1.18, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. We see that the wrath of, we see that the wrath of God is, is real. The first thing we learn about the wrath, the wrath of God is real. Oftentimes we, we create God in our own image. We decide how we want God to be, what we want him to be like. And so we say, that's the God that I worship. The God that I worship would never condemn people, right? The God that I worship. And you hear people say those kinds of things. Well, well you can't do that. We have to deal with the God who exists, right? And the fact is, the wrath of God is real. It's real. We, this isn't a made-up side of God. Nor is God schizophrenic. We're going to see how this fits together, right? And so the wrath of God is real. Um, see, God is a God of justice. And when his sense of justice is violated, then he has to express wrath. Does that make sense? I mean, we all want God to be loving and forgiving when, it's, when we're asking for forgiveness for what we've done. But we also want God to be just in his actions towards other people, Right? I call that the Jonah complex, right? We all want, uh, we want, we want that. When, when we're the one being thrown into the, into the water, we want God to come and save us, and God did that for, for Jonah. But the moment God is ready to save the Ninevites, hmm, no, no. But God is loving, he's merciful, and he is just. And, uh, and so when his justice is violated, we begin to see his wrath. Really, today and next week, we're going to begin to see the path to wrath that we, that we see in the book of Romans, chapter 1. Today, we'll see the first part of that. The second thing we notice about God's wrath is that it is present tense. The wrath of God is revealed. In fact, there is more than one present tense in, in Greek, the language that this was originated in. Um, and this is the sense of the ongoing, present tense, active present tense. The idea is, in fact, some translations will even say, uh, for the wrath of God is being revealed. It's that present tense. It's happening right now. Oftentimes when we think of the wrath of God, we think uh, of that judgment day. And is that a wrathful day? Yes, it is, for some. But it's also present tense. There is some sense in which the wrath of God is being revealed. He's withdrawing protection. He's withdrawing himself and letting us run our own course. And, and you see that that in itself expresses the wrath of God. But the third thing we see is that the wrath of God is deserved. We don't see God punishing people that don't deserve it. He lays out 
the reason for that. He says uh, that it is the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. So we see that it is a deserved type of, of wrath. I want to talk for a moment about what the, the object of God's wrath is. What do, and according to these verses, what is the object of God's wrath? What is he upset with? Okay. Someone said it in one word. They said, I heard the word uh, sin. Right? Let's look at it textually speaking. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all what? Ungodliness. Ungodliness. Let's tear that word apart for a moment. There's un. That's undoing. It's, it's the opposite of. It's, it's taking something out. Godly. Now we're talking about God and then next. It's the state of that. It's, it's, I'm going to use the word godlessness because oftentimes we've used the word ungodliness so, so much that we just use it as a term for any kind of unrighteousness. But there's, the Lord is distinguishing there because he says against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So unrighteousness, those are those acts of unrighteousness. Godlessness is more of a state of being. In fact, he goes on to say that there's a, a causal relationship between godlessness and unrighteousness because what does he finish that uh, verse 18 with? Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The word in could be translated with or by. It's the same uh, preposition in the original language. The idea is they suppress the truth by their acts of unrighteousness. So that godlessness actually affects the, and causes the unrighteousness. So the root of all this is godlessness. The root of all of this is godlessness. Right, let's take a, a, a definition of godlessness. And I'm going to make this as simple of a definition as we can come up with. It's, it's this simple. It's taking God out of the equation. Isn't that what godlessness actually means? Or ungodliness? It's when you act as if God does not exist. You take God out of the equation. Now when you look at sin that way, you realize that there are a lot of people guilty of, of ungodliness. Isn't that true? When you look at our culture, in fact, if, if godlessness is acting as if God does not exist, to compare that with a verse that we used just last week, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How does verse 6 go? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The idea is that in everything, you acknowledge God. You see God's role. You see the beauty in creation. Oh, wow. You see, this is the artwork. You admire the artist, right? Everything you do, you acknowledge God. That's what he calls us to do, and he will direct our paths. When, how do we get off path? When we ignore God, we take God out of the equation. That's called godlessness. And that makes God angry. Wrath, a righteous anger. You see, it, this, this teaches us that we have a, a, a really messed up view of what sin is. Do we not? In fact, if you look at what the world's view of sin is, it's very simple. The world's view of sin is one person does something to someone else and it causes a negative emotion. Right? That's sin. Unless you're the person doing it. Right? It's sin if you're the person receiving the, the you know, we never, the, we never said the world's constant in their ethic, right? But that's their definition of sin. They, look at that, that's sin. The guy who did that, that's sin. So if you do something that causes that negative emotion in someone else, then that, you know, that is a sin. So the bottom line is that if you mind your own business, then nothing is sin, right? 
If you mind your own business, nothing is sin. So it, whatever you want to do in your own home, on your own time, that's, that's your business, right? Isn't that what the world says? With that definition, you can understand why, for example, you remember the story a few months back, I think it was, of a, a Christian photographer that takes pictures of weddings. Someone asked if they would do a homosexual wedding. Remember that? The Christian photographer said, I don't want to, to do that because I feel like I'm participating in that. And they got sued. And that story becomes public news. It's on the news all over. And, and all of a sudden, you, you, what you find is the world isn't saying, how, how dare that person participate in sin? The, the, talking about the couple and in and, and, and the form of homosexual marriage. Who's the, who's the guilty party? The Christian. Why? Because he's not minding his own business. The moment he says, I'm not going to take pictures, I'm not going to support this, he's saying that what you're doing is wrong. He's following this pattern. He's guilty of sin in the world's eyes. Does that make sense? We, if we're going to reach this world, by the way, it's important to understand how the world thinks. This is where the, the, they're thinking. And so that's why we keep finding ourselves in the dock, right? We're, we're not the, the plaintiffs anymore. We're the defendants in our culture. We're immoral in their eyes because of this ethic. That's the world's view of sin. And that's why the, the world looks, uh, looks less and less like a world that would be created by God. But let's look at God's concept of sin according to these verses. Really, that it begins with the fact that God gives clear knowledge. The knowledge of God's existence is obvious. Isn't that what we just read? Even the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen through the things that are seen. We can see, even as Godhead, his divinity, we can see that, that there's a creator. Um, and, uh, and so this is a very different different idea. So God reveals himself to man, but then we pretend like he doesn't exist. We just kind of cut that part out. And instead of acknowledging him in all of our ways, what do we do? We push him aside. We pretend like God does not exist. This is the concept of of sin that God lays out for us. This is the concept. In fact, I, I heard someone say one time that teenagers are God's practical joke on atheists. It's like God saying, you give someone life and sustenance and see how it feels when they treat you like you don't even exist. Right? Oh, come on. No one has teenagers? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the idea is you, you do that. You, you give them life, even though we all know that all life really comes from God, right? But we provide for them and we do those things and, and they treat you like you don't even exist sometimes. I'm glad that my teens don't do that, so... And they're here, so I got to care. No, no, we have good teenagers, but I've heard that said before. But, you know, it's the idea that we, we enjoy this life that we've been given. We enjoy the things. We take for granted all that, the, that God has given us, and we pretend like God's not even a part of that. And, by the way, it's this willful ignorance that leads us to do all sorts of things that cause all sorts of negative emotions in people, and we end up do we do hurt each other, and we do all of these things. And so it's that... It's that willful ignorance of God that causes us to be involved in acts of unrighteousness. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if we understand this, it's a, it's a completely different uh, way. So how, how has society, our society, taken God out of the equation? Let's bring this to year 2015. How has our society done that? Well, take, let's go to the, to the very beginning. How did everything get here? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. We've got to do something about that. If we're going to pretend that God doesn't exist, we can't use that as our history anymore. So what, what do we do? Um, we take God out of the equation. How do we do that? Charles Darwin came up with a theory. right? By the way, he didn't come up with a theory. That theory was actually taught long before Charles Darwin. It's just that the world was ready to accept it at this point. Does that make sense? Um, but uh, he came up with a theory. A theory that took God out of the equation. The entire theory was based on one goal. You know what that goal was? The goal is to explain the existence of creation by natural means. What does natural means mean? Not supernatural. Let's just take the world, let's take God out of the equation, and let's come up with a theory. Isn't that what's happened? And, and so we see that. Well, then we might say, but well, how do you explain other things? Like the soul. How do you explain the soul? The word for soul is suche in, in Greek. It's where we get the word psychology from. Who's the father of modern-day psychology? It's Sigmund Freud, right? Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud had a different goal, but it was very similar, and I think you'll see what it is. His goal was to explain the soul or the psyche by natural means. Do you see the connection there? Somehow we have to explain for the soul, apart from this idea of any type of supernatural part, anything that's not made out of matter. So he had to, uh, to create a different worldview to explain these things. Now when you put those two together, when, when, when Charles Darwin came up with the theory of evolution, guess what he did to man? He turned man into an animal. I can give you a quote. It's his own words. Man is an animal. Well... Sigmund Freud took that idea. In fact, he in fact he has another quote. His is, "Man is unmistakably an animal." That's uh, that's Sigmund Freud's quote. So then he takes this idea that man is just uh, an animal, and now he reduces the soul to biochemical actions and reactions, right? Because you have to explain for why we do things, and it completely destroys the notion of sin. If you watch National Geographic, do you say, oh, that lion is evil because it chased that gazelle? No. Why? Because they're animals. Right? That's what they do. But you take that and you reduce man to an animal. And even his choices to biochemical actions and reactions, you have completely destroyed the notion of sin. Why? Because you take God completely out of the equation. In fact, there was one fan of Darwinism who said, let's apply this to ethics. And he, was a, he became a politician. And he based his ethics on evolutionary doctrines. And his name, you might know, is Adolf Hitler. His goal was to base ethics on the evolutionary doctrines to create a superior race. His entire theory was, if we can beat a different race, then we should. Why? Because in the long run, that means we're the, the better races survive. Where did he get that? Darwin. Shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, uh, the Darwin's book, or Origin of the Species, is only half the title. Did you know that? You won't learn this in college. But if you look at a picture of his... Of, of, of the title of the original copy. It's The Origin of the Species, the, the, the Search for preser- the Preservation of, su- of Favored Races. Uh, I, I messed that up. It's The Preservation of Favored Races. I forgot exactly how, how it is. But the idea in there is that 
The book was designed to teach you how to preserve the better races. You don't hear that in college, do you? Right. Well, you say, man, that's, that's horrible. Well, once you take sin out of the equation, guess what? Even mass murder can become a, a positive thing. Right? Do you see how godlessness leads to unrighteousness? Godlessness. Take God out of the equation, and this is where it goes. Survival of the fittest. That's from Darwin, right? Survival of the fittest, that was the motto of Adolf Hitler. We say, oh, but that's, that's a long time ago, right? There, there aren't too many people around that were, that were alive during, during this era of history, and, um, and, uh, which, which isn't true, but you know what? It can be applied to today as well. In fact, take the media. Take Ted Turner. This is just one example. He's the owner of CNN, WTBS, TNT, AOL, MGM, United Artists, TCM, Cartoon Network, Time Warner, etc., etc., etc. Right? You know who I'm talking about. Okay. What was his goal? His goal was to inter- entertain the next generation under the assumption that there is no God. And you know what? You watch everything from his cartoons all the way to whatever, Walking Dead or whatever. The, the ideas behind all of the shows is to create this idea and flood the world with entertainment that takes God out of the equation. And you know what? We've fallen for it, haven't we? Haven't we? I mean, look at our culture. Look what's happened in, in, in his lifetime. And you say, well, but that's education. Come on, education can't have that much of an effect. Well, how about education? Right? How about education? Here we have uh, Arnie Duncan. Who happens, uh, who happens to be the U.S. Secretary of Education, appointed by our own president, right? What did he say his goal was? His goal is to educate the next generation under the assumption that there's no God. In other words, let's take God out of our textbooks. Anything that lifts up God, take him out of our textbooks, right? Godlessness. Godlessness. So how do we get here? How do we get to this place? And how does one become godless? How does a society become godless? The answer is right there. We just read it in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? Suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. We're talking about suppression of truth. Suppression of truth. You know, I honestly think this is how man sees himself, right? He sees himself like, like this guy right here with the, the magnifying glass. He sees himself as this objective, unbiased person who honestly seeks the truth, who would accept God if the evidence supported it, right? Isn't that how the world presents themselves? I'll give two examples. Uh, this is a, a quote by Carl, uh, uh, Carl Sagan. He says, you can't convince a believer of anything, for their belief is not based on evidence. It's based on a deep-seated need to believe. What's the implication there? Well, you guys believe because you want to believe. For us, we're bound to the evidence. Because we're unbiased, objective people. We look at the evidence and we can't, conclu- we can't come to the same conclusions. As if wanting to believe in a God that we have to submit ourselves to is natural. Right? But belief that you're free to do whatever you want is unnatural. It doesn't work that way. right? So if anyone is following their desires to believe... Who is it? It's Carl Sagan. It's not us. Right? By nature, tell me I have to submit to a, 
an authority, and he's got a pretty big book here that tells me how to live my life. I'm sorry, but by nature, I want, I'd rather choose my own path. How, wouldn't you? By nature, until you get into it, and you realize that God is above you, and that God is wiser than you, and that he does love you, and that this makes more sense. Than, but until then, by nature, that's how we are. Or take this other quote uh, by Seth MacFarlane. wrote, Religious is notorious for conceiving an idea and then trying to make it true either by propaganda or sometimes by force. While science makes a discovery and then immediately sets about trying to disprove it, just to make sure it's correct before everybody makes idiots of themselves. Talk about suppression of the truth. That's suppression of the truth if I ever saw it. Right? That's not what science does. They come up with a theory, and then regardless of the evidence, it's still, we call that political correctness, right? Many times. Uh, who cares what science says? We'll invent the science to support the theories. And you see that going on all the time. All the time. Well, if, uh, if that's the pressure of truth, what does Romans 1.19 say about that? It goes on to say, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Manifest means it's made known to them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that men are without excuse. Suppression of the truth. As we read that, we find out the evidence is obvious. It's everywhere around us. I mean, think about it. There's a creation, therefore there's a creator. Do you have to give up your intellectual honesty to come up with that? You look at the world and you see artwork in the universe, and you say, wow, there must be... An artist. You see, design. There must be a designer, right? I mean, a designer can mimic the lack of design, right? You can take a couple paint cans. In fact, a lot of modern art looks like that, in my opinion. <laughs> Sorry, but if I offend anyone, but a lot of times it seems like they just throw this, throw it on. We can mimic the lack of design, but something without design can't mimic design. You can't put a grenade in a paint can and get the Mona Lisa, right? It doesn't happen. And, and so we, we, the, the evidence is so obvious. It's so much there. In fact, it goes on to say uh, in, in uh, Psalm 19, what do we read? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The evidence of the existence of God is obvious. It's there. Now let me ask you this. Is that enough to save a person? Because this is where we get, a lot of Christians get stuck. Is it enough to save a person to know, wow, there's a God? Will a person look at the the creation and say, I'll bet you there's a God and that he has a son. And that his son's name is Jesus and that he probably came to earth and died on the cross for my sins. Anyone come to the conclusion without a Bible? No. Right. Why? Because there's a limit. Uh, there's a limit to what that kind of, of stuff will do. But yet God uses this to condemn us. And that's where the world points their fingers at us and says, Aha! See? God's unjust. We don't, we don't believe he exists, and he's unjust. <laughs> that's what they say. Right? But it doesn't really stand the stand, stand truth. Because... Look what uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, the greatest chapter uh, on faith in the Bible. It's Hebrews 11, in fact, it's oftentimes called the great hall of faith because of all the people that it talks about 
who were faithful. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So how do we come to God? Through faith. Not through works, through faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and believe that he is a rewarder of those who, are, who earnestly seek him. So we, we have that first part. It's evident in, in creation. We must believe that he is. If you reject God at that level, it's because you are suppressing the truth. It's suppressing the truth. But then, where does that lead? Well, then, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does that mean that you're going to have the skills to be able to find God? No. But if you honestly look at this world and you say, I believe there's a God, and I'm going to seek him out, guess what? God and his sovereignty will find you. I can tell you, as a missionary, I can tell you stories. I can tell you stories of other missionaries. Time and time again, the day that someone, even in those long lost tribes, the day that someone says, you know what, this is not right, we're going to seek God, guess what? That's the day that God makes sure the missionary shows up. That's the God we serve. Isn't that cool? And, uh, and so, so we, we see God exists. We have to believe that. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we seek him. So does a, does a person in, in some lost tribe, is he condemned because he didn't hear? No. Uh, you know, you look at it. This is how man sees himself, though. This objective, unbiased, honestly seeking the truth would accept the evidence, but that's just not how it is. This is what man really is. And this is the picture we get here in Romans 1, is that he's a little bit more like this, right? He's inclined to selfishness. The truth is all around us, but yet we suppress the truth because we don't want to change the way we live. The word suppression literally means to push downward. Now imagine for a moment if we were in a swimming pool and, uh, and we had a big beach ball. And you try to push that beach ball all the way underwater. What's going to happen? It's going to pop up somewhere, right? Assuming you have the strength to get it all the way underwater. It's because by nature it is wanting to move upwards. That's the image that you get of the evidence of God. We push it down and it keeps popping up. And every time it pops up, we have to put our hand up and push it back down again because the evidence of God, it has to be suppressed for us to not believe it. And that's the image that we get. So this, so really, who are we? We're, we're selfish people. We ignore the truth and we suppress the truth because we don't want it to change the way we live our lives. That's, that's how we really are. So what is the basis of man's guilt? Because in, in Romans 1 it says that so that men are without excuse. So what is the basis of man's guilt? Is it a lack of evidence? No, it's not. What is it? It's that internal desire to live life apart from the knowledge of God. So I want to live my own life the way I want to live it. Remember last week I showed, uh, I showed a quote by George Clooney. Remember what he, he said? I know you probably can't read it from there, so I'll read it. It says, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't know if there's a God. All I know is that as an individual, I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. See the assumption? Well, there's no way to know if there's God. But I'm not going to pursue him because that would be a waste of the life that I have. Do you see that? It's not the lack of evidence. It's a desire that says, if I pursue that knowledge, 
waste my life. I may not get to live the way I want. Remember what Jesus said? He who wants to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my name's sake will gain it. And that's where people, and I don't hate people like George Clooney. I don't, I don't use him to, to, to rip on him. I, I, I use it because I want you to see the nature of sin. We should pray for people like him, right? We love these people. We want them to, to know. <coughs> but it's godlessness. It's taking God out of the equation. There are three components that we find of godlessness. And, and, uh, and we'll close with these, with these three. But if we read verses 21 through 23... Because although they knew God, they knew God, what? They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Not even thankful, just, this is what, this is my life. Remember the old song that, I forgot what, what, even what decade it was in, but I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life. Remember that? I'm not going to sing it for you because you'll find out real fast why I'm not a music pastor. That's how we look at God. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. No, it's not. Every breath we take, it's borrowed. Is it not? First step, three, uh, first component of godlessness is ignoring God. Pretending he's not there. Ignoring God. And then what happens? If you go on, it says, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were dark, darkened. What does that lead to, ignoring God? It leads to being futile. It is futile to ignore God. What does futile mean? Empty. Worthless. Right? It takes meaning out of everything. The foolish hearts became darkened. It's like turning the lights off. Right? Well, let's go back and see what else it says. It says, professing to be wise. What are they doing? See, when you take God out of the equation, who fills that gap? We do. So we have to profess ourselves to be wise. I mean, you, you see that, that conceit in, dripping in every word of what George Clooney was saying, Carl Sagan was saying, uh, Seth MacFarlane. You see conceit in all of those. Why? I so said they're, they're imitating God. They take his place. Ignoring God first, imitating God. And what does that lead to? Well, the verse says, professing to be wise, what? They became fools. They became fools. By imitating God, we become foolish. Become foolish. Even to the point where common sense, once, once, you, once you go down this path to a certain level, common sense seems to be gone. Right? Have, have we seen that in our country? Common sense. I mean, if you were to ask me a year ago, if we would have thought it was a good idea to pay state terrorists $50 billion, I mean, basically fund their terrorism for them, and that's going to help us, right? Now, I'm not saying that to knock any party. I'm not, I'm not getting into that. That's not my point. The point is, we, when we take God out of the equation, we get further and further away from wisdom, and we get further and further into foolishness. Foolishness. Uh, I mean, I saw... Um, um, just a couple moments of an interview with uh, Bruce Jenner. Uh, you, know, you know who I'm talking about. You, might, you remember him from the Olympics all the way on until now where he's becoming a woman. And, and, uh, and so he was asked, are you a woman? And 
and yeah, he's finally accepting himself, and the culture applauds him, right? Yep, he was on suicide watch the very next day, right? And we call that gay, right? Gay means happy, right? We're so foolish, we don't understand. Something could be so clear. Here's a man who's suffering. He needs something. He needs God in his life, does he not? And, and yet we applaud him as a culture for taking God completely out of his life. And I, I, I feel sorry for him. But our culture has imitated God. They profess themselves to be wise. That's foolish. And we become more and more foolish as we do it. The third thing that we read, verse 23, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, we take the, the, the emphasis off the creator and what do we put it on? The creature, the creation. And uh, I, I, I'm going to, for lack of better words, I'm going to call this idolizing creation. We idol, they idolize creation. And that, folks, is fatal. That's where we see the wrath of God being revealed. When we start to, when we start to do that, we start lifting up mankind as if he's, as if he's something, uh, as if he is God. And this is what Lucifer tried to do long before long before any of human history, right? Lucifer lifted himself up and said, I want to be like the Most High. I want, I want that position. God says, you can't have that position because I know where it'll lead. And yet we as men, we ignore God. We take his place. And then we have to lift up something so we start praising creation. I'll tell you what, by no means am I saying we shouldn't, we shouldn't be appreciative of creation. But we should not be appreciative of creation apart from the appreciation of the Creator. I mean, Christians sometimes get accused of being the people who are, are anti-earth and all those kinds of things. No, no, absolutely not. If you read Genesis 1, you know it's our responsibility to take care of this earth. Amen? Amen. It is our job. We should be the forerunners of taking care of our earth. But we do that because it's the artwork of someone that is very precious to us. Because it's, it's God's. Does that make sense? And it's a, different, it's, a, it's a different way of looking at it, but we, we can't idolize creation. We can't use, let creation take the place of God and appreciate that instead of God. I know there might be some different people here. Uh, maybe you're, there's a, a seeker among us here. Maybe there's someone here who's just coming out, checking it out, not sure what this is all about. I've got two questions for you if you're seeking today. The first question is, have you been ignoring the evidence, hoping that God would excuse you someday on the basis of ignorance? I think this is going on in the hearts of a lot of people. Well, if I just suppress the truth, then one day when I do stand before God, I could say, but I didn't know. Romans 1 tells us very clearly that is not an excuse. That is not an excuse. I remember uh, not turning in an assignment once because the teacher never said anything about it, but and all he did was say, it's in the syllabus. <laughs> Anyone ever have that happen? in the syllabus. It doesn't matter if I remember to announce it or not. Ah. It's without excuse. That's what God's saying here. And so the last question would be, are you willing to humble yourself and accept him today? To accept him today. You don't have to walk outside these doors knowing that, that God has made a way. There is an escape to the wrath of God. And that's what we were singing about this morning. And that's why we should be so deeply appreciative. That's why we sing of what Christ did. Amen? Amen. 
because of what God has done. Are you willing to humble yourself and accept him today? In just a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to respond, if that's you. Don't let the embarrassment of anything else keep you from responding. And, and we'll give you an opportunity to talk to someone, how you can know from God's word that, that that will not be you. And God's wrath will not be poured on you because Jesus already paid the price on the cross of God's wrath. If you're willing to accept it. For the believers, I'm hoping that there are a lot of believers in here today as well. You know, there's an application for us as well. I have three questions I want to ask. Number one, does your life reflect the constant awareness of God's presence? Or are we sometimes practical atheists? You know what I mean by that? Even though we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior on a day-to-day basis, we pretend like he's not there. One way that shows up maybe in our prayer life. Do you find yourself constantly in prayer? Because if you don't, that means you don't recognize that God's there. Right? And you start living life on your own, making your own decisions, trying to do the best that you can. And I'll tell you what, that will get us into trouble 100% of the time. And number three, do you see your unsafe friends as lost? Or do you pretend that God's wrath is fiction? That's another way of suppressing the truth. We pretend like, like nothing bad's going to happen. And we go in day in day out, we see the same people at work, we build relationships with them, or maybe in our schools, our neighborhoods, and we say nothing to them about the good news of the gospel. You know what that is? That's pretending that God's wrath isn't real. That's suppression of the truth. Don't suppress the truth. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Close our eyes. Now that no one's looking around, I just want to ask the question. For, the, for those who are not sure of your salvation, I just want to ask you, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor Dave, I am not 100% sure that I am saved. Maybe I am an object of God's wrath. But I would like to know. I would like someone to show me. Would you just be willing to raise your hand for a moment? No one else is looking. None of the people sitting in the pews are looking. Would you be willing to raise your hand? If that's you. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity here. If that's you, to just step forward. We have some people with a little lanyard that says, ask me right on it. All you have to do is go up to them and say, I'd like to ask you a question. And they'll walk you through from there. Now I want to talk to the believers for just a moment. Is there anyone in here who would say, Pastor Dave, you know what? At least in some sense, I have not been acting in light of the existence of God. I've been suppressing some truths in my life. If that's you, just raise your hand. No one's looking. I see that. I see some of the hands going up. Yeah. I'm going to give you an opportunity as well. If you'd like to, you can come forward and just pray. No, one's, no one will bother you. you. You can pray right from, right from your, your seat if you'd like. But don't leave today without confessing that to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm going to live in light of your presence from this day forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you work in our hearts. Lord, I know that there are people here who need to know you. Convict their hearts right now. Make, make your existence so obvious to them.
they would not suppress that truth, but would be willing to just come forward and accept that truth. Or even for believers, Lord, maybe some who have been saved for a long time, been suppressing some of that truth as well. Convict our hearts so that we would leave here new. It's a new level of appreciation for the gospel that we have as we look at the depths and the gravity of our sin. And I pray this in Christ's name.